morning, everybody. Good to see you. Those of you who are healthy enough to be here today, um, it's good to worship with you and to be reminded of our need to build our lives on the one who, whose love, who, the one on the, whose, whose love will satisfy us and will give us what we need. Um, I started uh, going through the book of Matthew during Advent, and what we're going to do this coming year is we're just going to keep on going through, Ad, through, through Matthew. Um, so we're going to look at Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. And uh, if you remember, um, in, during Advent, I mentioned that uh, Matthew wrote his book. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, if you didn't know that. And he wrote his book in order to introduce people to Jesus, particularly to introduce Jewish people to Jesus. There's a lot of stuff in, in Matthew where he's saying, this is how Jesus fulfilled all of these promises in the Old Testament. And, uh, and so he wanted to introduce people to, to the real Jesus. And, and so my hope as we go through Matthew, we're, gonna, we're not going to f- cover every single passage. We're going to skip over some of it, we're gonna, but we're going to spend much of this year going through Matthew uh, with a couple of breaks. My hope is that we can engage with Jesus and meet Jesus afresh this year, okay? Um, kind of move away from kind of some of our preconceived ideas about who Jesus is or the, maybe the faulty understanding of Jesus that, that we've gotten to know throughout the years if, you, if you've been a Christian for a long time. Um, so uh, listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. It, it, it's printed in your order of worship, or you can follow along in your own Bible if you have it. Listen to God's word. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, that you would help us. We pray for your spirit to work in us, in our minds, and our hearts, that you would help us to see clearly what you want us to see here, your truth, that, uh, that your word would have its way with us, and that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would grow us in our vision 
of how great you are. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but um, I've never really longed to do any extreme sports. I'm more of like a moderate, regular sports kind of guy. Um, I, and I was, I was, this was confirmed for me when last, last uh, month, Kim and I were flying out to Phoenix, and I was watching some, you know, TV shows on the airplane, and one of the shows I was watching was a documentary on this guy named Garrett McNamara, who is a, you, you could call him an extreme surfer. He's, he's a surfer, but he doesn't just surf normal waves. He has this passion to surf big waves. And so he's what, he's what you call a toe-in surfer, where, you, you know, normal, normally if you surf, you, you paddle out to the wave, and then you, and then you ride it into the, into the, uh, into the beach. But uh, there are some waves that are so big that you can't paddle out to get to them. And so you have a jet ski pull you out there. So he has this jet ski pull him out to these massive waves. These waves are like 50 feet, 60 feet, 70 feet. He even rode a wave that was like 78 feet high. That's like an eight-story building. And, uh, and, and as I watch this, you know, I, I know what it's like when I go to the Jersey Shore and I'm riding on a boogie board and I'm like on like a three-foot wave and it like crashes on me and, and I like, you know, it, it tumbles me around and stuff like that. I can't imagine what it would be like to have like a, a seven, eight-foot story building of a wave come crashing down on you. That sounds terrifying. That sounds really dangerous, to be honest with you. You know, that's, that sounds really scary. Um, it's, it's completely out of control. And so that's why I, I tend to, you know, say I'm, I'm going to stick with the regular, you know, sports in moderation. I'll, I'll just stick with my boogie board at the Jersey Shore, right? Um, as Matthew begins the account of the life of Jesus, he starts off talking to, up to us about John the Baptist. He zeroes in, he zooms in on the person of John the Baptist. And as you read this passage, as you, as you read these 12 verses, what I see in here is a lot of extreme stuff. There's a lot of extreme stuff in here. Uh, John the Baptist is extreme in and of himself, but then the things that he talks about are extremely extreme as well. And his main message is the same message that Jesus begins his ministry with, which is repent. Repent, right? Verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Now the thing is, as we hear this message, repent, as we hear this command to repent, I think for a lot of us, we have this tendency to want to, you know, water down repentance, to keep repentance in in kind of a moderate, regular area that's, you know, more comfortable, more controllable, uh, more safe. But I think that the repentance that he is calling us to is a repentance that is extreme. And I get that because of all the other extreme stuff that surrounds this whole passage and this whole command to repent. And so what I want to do this morning is look at four things that maybe, um, that teach us what extreme repentance really is about, the, the real call that he places on us. If we want to experience the kingdom of heaven, if we want to experience what Jesus offers us, if we want to really know Jesus, the first step is repenting and repenting in an extreme way. And, and I want to look at four kind of things that are associated with that extreme repentance this morning, okay? So the first thing that I want us to focus on is this extreme guy, okay? This extreme guy. Before we're introduced to Jesus as a man, um, the, the spotlight is put on John the Baptist, and everything about John the Baptist is extreme, isn't it? You know, what he's wearing. He's, he's this, you got this picture of this guy with camel's hair, 
and a leather belt. And, and what does he eat? He eats locusts and wild honey. You know, I got this, this picture in my mind. You guys know who Bear Grylls is? He's this, this like survivalist that, you know, takes people out into the wilderness and, and he teaches them how to survive by eating all sorts of crazy stuff, you know? Like this, this guy, John the Baptist, he deserves a TV show. He deserves his own TV show. That's how extreme he is, right? Um, and so you have this picture of this extreme guy. And where does he do his ministry? He does it in the wilderness, He's out there in the desert. This guy is extreme. And, and so what is the point of this guy, this guy, John the Baptist? Well, I think one of the things that, one of the reasons that he is so extreme, the reason that he's so extreme is he, he's extreme because he's meant to grab our attention. He's meant to grab the people's attention at the time. Here's this, this you know, crazy guy out in the wilderness preaching. And he's meant to grab the people's attention. God means for for the people to notice, here is a prophet speaking for God. You realize the the last prophet that Israel had had was like 400 years before this. So this is the first prophet in Israel in in like 400 years. And so God wants to grab their attention. And that's why you have this extreme picture of a man out in the wilderness. To say, people, pay attention. People pay attention. Not, not only is he just the, the first prophet in 400 years, but, but the way that he's described, the, the, the garment of camel's hair and a leather belt, it's actually a very, it's, it's, he's described very similarly to the prophet Elijah, who was very well known to the Israelites. He was like one of the, the, the most well-known prophets in all of Israel's history. And actually 400 years before, the, the prophet Malachi had made this promise this prediction that, that God's going to do something huge in the future. There's going to be this great day of the Lord. And before God does this major thing, Elijah is going to come back. And so I think Matthew's pointing out, look, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. God is about to do something amazing. God is speaking. Pay attention. And so that's what I say, this first point is, is this, that the extreme person of John the Baptist was meant not just to, to entertain the people or make people think a little bit about, you know, their lives, but, or to think, you know, that, well, that's, that's interesting. Maybe I should think about living a different way. But he's mentioned to grab their attention. He's mentioned to grab our attention. And that's the, the first aspect of, of repentance. In order to repent, the first thing we need to do is, is to focus completely and totally on God. Say, God, I'm going I'm to give you my attention before anything else. There's an urgency in here in John the Baptist's preaching, his proclaiming, repent. And, and, and so the, the beginning of repentance is to say, I'm going I'm to turn my attention away from all these other things that tend to preoccupy my life, and I'm going to make it my priority to pay attention to God, what he wants, what he thinks, what he has to say about how I'm living my life, how I might need to live my life differently how I might need to feel differently about my life, how I might need to respond to things differently in my life. Repentance starts with me saying, I'm going to listen to you, God, above everything else. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, God, define me by what you think and by what you say and define how I'm living my life and the choices that I'm making. I'm going to let God tell me what is not right about my life. There's, there's this, this extreme guy is meant to get our extreme attention, a radical attention on God above all other things. Um, and then there's this extreme response of the people. You notice this, this extreme response in verse 5? 
says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. There's this widespread response. All of the region about the Jordan, all Judea, there's, there's these people, the masses of people going out to see John, going out to confess their sins, going out to be baptized. It's, it's, it has the flavor of a revival that's going on here, right? There's this massive movement of people all being willing to, to do what? To, to, to do something extreme. To, to get up from, from their normal lives and to go out into the desert, into the wilderness, and to be baptized by this extreme guy. It's an extreme response. And this is what I want to point out. Repentance requires us all to do this very thing. The, the courage to embrace every day as something new. To embrace the, this willingness to let go of what has been before in my life. Everything that I'm used to. It requires the courage to step out and do something different. You realize that's what these people were doing as they went out into the wilderness. As they went out to be baptized. They were, I, they were, they were letting go of their old life and identifying with something new identifying with a new community. And so repentance begins with, with giving God our full attention. It also, it also continues with, with being willing to let go of all that I was, all that I used to be, all that I, I'm comfortable with, all that I've done before now. This is what repentance requires from us. It requires kind of a turning away from, from everything that was past and saying, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to start doing something different. I'm ready to start being something different. Repentance refuses to let us be like, oh, I've, I've never done that before, so I couldn't do that now. I've never, you know, um, really been bold and, and, and outgoing with other people, so I can't ever do that in the future. <laughs> I've never really, you know, been taking the risk of sharing what has been on my heart, you know, sharing like the, the deepest things that I care about, sharing my faith with other people, so I can't possibly do that now. Repentance requires us to, to be willing to, to take the courage to let go of all that we are used to and be open to the fact that God wants me maybe to be something different, to live dif differently than I have in the past. And then there's this extreme insult. You see how, how uh, John interacts with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, starting in verse 7. He says, He saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, and he said to them, you brood of vipers. Ouch. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He calls them a brood of vipers. He criticizes them for failing to live consistently with what God cares about. With, 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 he, he criticizes them for failing to, to bear fruit and care about people and love people as God calls them to. But then the extreme insult, I think, comes down in verse 9. He says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And he points out to them, he's, he's like, Okay, you may think that you're important. You may, you may think that you're special just because you're Israelites, just because you're descendants of Abraham, because you, you have this you know, objective, external thing that you can lay claim to. You might think that you're special. But the reality is, you're not. Because God can take a rock and make it 
just as special, if not more special than you. That's kind of insulting, isn't it? Here, let me try to clear this up. You guys probably think you're better than this, don't you? You think you're better than this? I mean, when I look at this, I'm like, obviously, yes. <laughs> this is a rock. What can this do? But this is the thing. I think what, what John is pointing out to these guys is that, you know, the only thing that makes you significant and valuable and worthy is what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. You know, when I compare myself to this rock, I'm like, of course I'm more significant than that rock. I'm, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm made in God's image. Well, yeah, that's the point. God is the one who made you in his image. Any experience of, of worthiness or significance or value that you have is because of what God has done. Anything that you have achieved in your life is because of what God has given you. The gifts, the talents, the abilities, the circumstances that he's put you in. It's all because of him. And so this, this extreme insult should produce in us a real radical humility. I am nothing apart from who God is and what he has done, who he says I am. I am nothing. God can take a rock and make something more glorious than me if he wanted to. This makes me humble. Makes me aware of how dependent I am on him. It's a radical humility that becomes as a result of this extreme insult and that's what he calls us to live with. But finally, the, there, there's this extreme promise here he gives us. And, uh, and this is what I, I desperately do not want us to miss. And, and I'm afraid that I personally have missed it, am missing it. John demonstrates his own humility because he he's, has this incredible fame. All these people are coming to see him. All these key people are coming to listen to him. He's baptizing people. He's having this huge impact. And then he makes it clear to everyone. He says, guys, it's not about me. The only reason I am here is to point you to the one who's coming after me. There is somebody coming after me that is so great, so powerful. I'm not even worthy to carry his dirty sandals. Why is he so worthy? Why is he so great? Why is he so glorious? And, and John puts it this way. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Okay, I'm baptizing you, yes, but it's, but it's like a symbolic thing. It's a thing that you know, helps you. It's a, teach, it's a teaching thing, a thing that helps you understand your need for God. You need to pay attention to God. You need to, to, to let go of your old life. It, it's a symbolic thing. But, but this person who's coming after me, this person who's coming after me, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Don't miss that. John baptizes with water. He does this physical thing. It's just a symbolic thing, a teaching thing. Jesus is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the word baptism has a range of meanings in the Bible. And um, in a lot of circumstances, there, there's a ceremonial meaning to baptism. And that's why when we baptize people, we don't insist on having to plunge them underwater. We, we, we pour water over them because uh, one, one you know, definition of baptism is, is it's a ceremonial thing where you can kind of sprinkle people and things like that. 
But then there's also the, the, the definition of baptism uh, that, that means it, it, it's, it's to wash somebody. And then there's also the definition of baptism that's kind of the regular use of baptism is that it's, it's, to, it's to immerse somebody in something, even to overwhelm that person with that thing. And so when John says, um, I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he's actually talking about the real thing of baptism, the, the real immersion of baptism, the overwhelming of baptism, that, that you are going to be enveloped, you are going to be drenched in this thing. That's what he promises. That's what he says Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to come and he's going to pour out upon you the Holy Spirit and fire. You are going to be immersed in it because of him. And this is why I say, you know, I, I struggle to really grasp this. Because when I think about my experience of the Holy Spirit and, and my daily interaction with the Holy Spirit, it's not where, like, I'm drowning in him. It's more like, you know, he's, uh, you know, an afterthought, afterthought sometimes, or it's, you know, like, yeah, maybe he could help me with this. Maybe I need to pray about this. But I think what John is promising is an experience of the Holy Spirit that is overwhelming, that cannot be ignored. When he talks about being baptized with fire, to be immersed in fire. You know, when, when you are on fire, I've never experienced this, but I have a feeling that you're not just like, hmm, I'm, I'm on fire. No, you know you're on fire when you're on fire, right? And when he talks about being baptized with fire, there, there is the sense in, in even in this passage where he talks about fire as something that, that, that comes because of the judgment of God, but I think when he's talking about Jesus baptizing us with the Holy Spirit of fire and fire, he's talking about us being purified. Jesus purifying everything that is wrong with us, burning it up completely so that we are changed. How many of our, us are experiencing that on a daily basis? Real, noticeable change in my own life. Real expectation of the Holy Spirit, like the, the Holy Spirit, as, as we've been encountered in throughout the Bible, the, the people who are reading this, the Jewish people, what are their, what's their understanding of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers the people of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who breathes life into the people of God. You want to, God, God created everything at the beginning of all, of all things. What did he do? Is the, the Spirit of God, he, he breathed life into Adam and Eve. That's where life comes from, the Spirit and so how many of us, as we live our daily lives, are counting on this kind of overwhelming, powerful, noticeable experience of the Spirit of God? As I think about the, the difficult stuff that I'm facing, the painful things I'm not, that I'm facing, am I counting on the fact that the Spirit of God is going to sustain me and change me and grow me and be displayed through me? As I think about these overwhelming challenges, these things that I, I can't figure out how is this going to work itself out in my life? Am I counting on living through those circumstances knowing that, that the Holy Spirit is, is enveloping me to work in me and to work through me and to work in my circumstances? We have this extreme promise. I think we need to to, to respond to that with an extreme expectation, a radical expectation of the Spirit, to open my eyes, to see what is true, to open my heart, to be convicted, 
to burn up all that is wrong in me. And so this is what we are called to, to repent by giving Jesus our full attention, by, by, by letting go of everything that was before and counting on, on and, and being open to being different, to, to, to living my life with a radical humility, knowing that, that I am nothing. I'm no greater than a rock, apart from what God will do. And, and really believing that the Holy Spirit is alive and real. And, and to believe in Jesus is to be plunged into the Holy Spirit, his presence and power. That last summer, our family went to the Outer Banks and we were staying in this place that had a pool. You know? So we'd go to the beach, then we'd come back and we'd play in the pool too. And, and, and one of the things that, that the kids would love it when I used to do this, um, and our, our bigger kids, when they were little, used to do this with them, them as well. I was just looking at videos of this last week where I'd, I'd take them you know, and, and I'd get in the water and then I'd take them and I'd throw them out of the water and then they'd fly in the air for just a second or two and then they'd just like plunge in the water, you know, with this huge splash and they'd go underneath. And you know, it's, it, it's, it's incredibly fun for them because there's this moment of just like scare, like terror, you know, while they're flying through the air and then they plunge in the water and they go under the water. They're not that great as swimmers yet. They're not expert, but they can swim. Um, but I think that's the picture of, of what Jesus does with us, with the Holy Spirit. Like if we ever had the facilities to kind of have a, a place where we could baptize people by putting them under the water, I wouldn't want to just, you know, kind of like dunk them in. I'd want to like make a platform and just like throw them off into the water. I think that would be, I think that would be more, um, you know, realistic to what Jesus wants to do with us in the Holy Spirit. The, you know, the, these extreme... Uh, sports people, these extreme surfers, one of the things that they talk about is like, you know, the reason they do it is because they get this rush. You know, when, they're, when, they're, when this guy's riding this wave that is like, you know, six, seven stories high, and he knows that he could die. He's like walking right on the edge of, of life and death. He gets this rush, and that's when he feels really alive. I think what we have here is the promise that, that if we really want to feel alive, then we need to learn how to, how to repent in an extreme way. How to give God our extreme attention. How to be extremely humble. How to be courageous in, extreme, in an extreme way of letting go of everything that was before me. And, and how to engage and, and expect extreme things from what God's going to do this morning through his spirit. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? That's the answer. Let's trust him and receive what he wants to give us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us uh, this morning to grasp the promise here. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the magnitude of what you will do, Jesus. The, the greatness and the power of your spirit poured out upon us to work in us, to work through us, and to breathe life into us. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to take hold of that promise.
We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, let's take a moment to confess our sin together. Um, The prayer is printed in your order of worship, and we'll pray that out loud together, and then we'll have a silent time.